0: hey everybody welcome to the second episode of the summer replay series today i am bringing back katherine walker who is the author of all is well okay twisted book will make you laugh out loud will shock you with some of the things that she writes with a completely unlikable and wholly lovable character. Those are my favorites. Don't you love them too? The ones that you love to hate but you really want to love and then you end up loving them in the end because they are redeemable. Anyways, it was a great conversation with Catherine. She is fun and quirky just like the main character in All Is Well. Highly recommend you pick this one up and just get lost in it for a while.
1: Prairie people make the best sailors. We have no idea what's going on. So we just do what our t- what we're told. And that makes a good sailor, right? To do what you're told. There's people who have grown up on the, on the West and East Coasts and they're very familiar around boats and the ocean and all that good stuff. That's why prairie people make such good sailors because we, we have no idea what's going on.
0: What Were You Thinking?, the podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein, and I invite you to join me as we ask authors to share the story behind their stories. Today, I'm talking with Katherine Walker, author of All Is Well?, This is a debut novel that kind of blew my mind. I didn't really know what to expect, but from the very first chapter, I was completely hooked. It is a crazy ride, full of twists and turns and unexpected characters and crazy behavior and irrational acts. It's truly a pleasure to read this book. Now let's get started. Oh my God, this book what a ride (laughs) oh that is so kind of you to say this is your debut novel right yes nice strong way to come out of the gate with this amazing book oh yeah I'm still kind of tripping from reading it are you yeah oh
1: my gosh yeah
0: in a good way
1: no no I know I know like during the last round of edits I was like, what is this stuff? Where did this stuff come from? Like that was the question I was going to ask you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, it was I mean, you write too memoir and fiction. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. So you know, you know the process. It's it's all these stories just came through. All these storylines just came through. And those candlesticks, the candlesticks <laughs>
0: oh the candlesticks they show up in the novel evolving into a character of their own it was like the best game of clue i could ever have played and i felt like i won at the end because i never won the clue ever ever i don't even know where to start catherine because your background is so diverse (laughs) tell me about it okay i'm gonna outline (laughs) what i know for for the listeners okay studied fine arts yes you worked in graphic design i did you uh went through graduate studies in divinity or you are going through
1: i have i i finished in 2020 okay and the cream on the top of
0: this crazy path of career is you were in the Royal Canadian Navy.
1: Yes, I still am. I still how, am.
0: How did all that happen? Yeah,
1: I grew up in Calgary and um, both parents are, are very artistic. My grade eight English teacher, Mrs. Barker, she, she had me read For Whom the Bell Tolls. And I was young. Like I was, I was a little bit kind of, you know, I had to stretch and like everything is in that book. You know what I mean? Like everything is in that book, like love, death, betrayal, war, orgasms, you know, like everything is in that book and That's like it's a
0: complex read for a 13 year old, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I I think, you know, that's why I'm kind of trying to give a shout out to Mrs. Barker, because that might be one of the reasons why I'm I'm this writer. Like I've always I've always had all these stories. And so, yeah, I got to U of C and I wanted to study fine arts. And I actually was so lucky. I was a student of John Stocking.
0: Okay, let me take you on a little journey about John Stocking. John Stocking was an art history professor at the University of Calgary from 1970 up until his death in 2012. Now, if you go on the Rate My Professors website, you'll see a wide variety of comments. I think you either loved or hated this professor. The people who loved him were not shy about pointing out that he might have been like a little bit mad that his lecture style was completely erratic, that he was a tough grader and he was for sure eccentric in the 1960s he was a lieutenant junior grade in the u.s coast guard and he moved on to get his uh, mfa at university of british columbia and then ultimately ended up at the university of calgary there's even a facebook group called john stalking lovers where people shared their memories and fondness for this professor. In his younger years, Professor Stocking looked kind of like John Denver, complete with the bowl cut. In his later years, he kind of reminded me of my cousin Harvey, who if you asked him, hey, what's new in the art world, would deliver you a dissertation.
1: He was an incredible teacher who really just opened my mind at the perfect time. I, I studied fine arts and, you know, like drawing, painting and, you know, I I wasn't very good. Um, And then I, I moved it along to design and photography and, you know, I really enjoyed the dark room. Like the dark room was like amazing. I actually gave myself like a certain degree of night blindness from spending way too much time in the, in the dark room. It, It came back. And so I, I ran around and I photographed bands for Fast Forward and Vox magazine. And I went up north. I went all the way up to the Yukon Territory. And I, I, got, a, I got a great job as a graphic designer. And so I was like, oh, finally, I can use like, my artistic um, education in a job like I had these amazing clients, like I had, I had big budgets for full color jobs. And I had all this incredibly engaging work, like, um, from paleontologists, from um, health services, and uh, like, there's the Beringia landmass up there.
0: The Beringia landmass dates back to like, way back in ice ages and it was a landmass bridge that connected Siberia to Alaska and the area it covered was as large as British Columbia and Alberta put together so it was almost 1,600,000 square kilometers a freezing cold ice, I can tell you for sure. No matter how good my woolly mammoth boots were, I'd be slipping and sliding every step of that way. I'll post some links to some really cool stuff about the Beringia landmass in the show notes.
1: Like the ice spits out like um, giant beavers and stuff like that. And uh, you know, just all this really cool stuff. And my stuff was just kind of mediocre. You know what I mean? Like, it looked good. It was coherent. And I'm grateful that I was a designer for as long as I was. Still, I was like, I don't know. My stuff just wasn't really beautiful. And so I joined the Navy. And I had always wanted to join. I had always wanted to join the Canadian Armed Forces. And I actually tried when I was, when I was 17. I approached them. And they were downsizing. But they were like, we set up once a year at the University of Calgary at Mac Hall. And so I I made my way down. And when the recruiters saw like how serious I was, (laughs) they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be a fighter pilot. And they're like, well, okay, even if we, you know, put you in the G-force machine and you're, you know, check out your vision and, you know, and, and, uh, and even if you had a university degree and you had a gold star on your recruiting file. We wouldn't. We wouldn't even begin your training for like four years, and I was like, "Why?" And and they were like, "Have you seen the movie Top Gun?" Um, you know, everyone in North America wants to be a fighter pilot right now, and I was like, "Oh," and they're and they're like, "There's no female fighter pilots right now, but some are coming. Some are coming in as we speak, and it won't be long before females are in all trades. So keep your eye on us." and go get a university degree. And when the time is right, you'll know it. And so off I went to the Yukon, and I had a big adventure. Like I I lived off grid with no running water and no power. And I got this fancy like solar system, but I was afraid of it, because it could like electrocute you and stuff. (laughs) And so anyway, it was just it was just a bit much. Actually, the Yukon sort of kicked me in the butinsky. So I was approaching 30. And I was like, okay, if I don't do this, I'm never going to do this. And so they actually flew me from White Horse to Yellowknife on a really scary flight. Um, and I did all my testing in one day on my, I think it might have been my 30th birthday. I joined in 2005. I came up through the ranks of the Navy. I started off, the, the rank name has just changed. Actually, it used to be I was an ordinary seaman, but now I, the correct term is ordinary sailor. So I started off as an ordinary sailor and then I went to able.
0: Cause sailor. let's, let's just say it. Every, every person with a bit of a five-year-old brain will giggle at <laughs> seaman.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: I know. I know. Come on. I know you were thinking the same thing. It's okay to admit it. I won't tell anyone.
1: I came up to master sailor. So that's a maple leaf and two chevrons. And I sort of knew what I was doing by that point, you know? And prairie people make the best sailors. We have no idea what's going on. So we just do what, our t- what we're told. And that makes a good sailor, right? To do what you're told. Being in the CAF is like being in a slice of Canadian society, right? Like every kind of Canadian you can imagine is there, right? And so, of course, there's there's people who have grown up on the on the west and east coasts and they're very familiar around boats and the ocean and all that good stuff. That's why prairie people make such good sailors, because we, we have no idea what's going on. So were and you ever
0: were you ever in active duty?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've I've spent years at sea. I've, I've deployed a lot. I specialized within naval warfare. And so what that looked like was uh, supersonic missile defense reactions. And um, I also took on an extra duty of Navy diving for my ship. So I was a ship's team diver. And so um, I left that all behind in 2017 when I was selected for a, to be a candidate to become a military chaplain. And so that's when the divinity piece came into place. Okay, so a priest, a master sailor,
0: and a writer walk into a body and out comes Catherine Walker.
1: You know, they say the the perfect uh, foreign port hobby is golf. Well, I'm a terrible golfer, so I would write off duty. I used to write notes to myself about what to write if I was going to write like it was just crazy that's kind of wild how many degrees of separation is that because I was I was just so reluctant to like to just get focused and like kind of take that risk and and write I was filling up notebooks full of these notes to myself and I was like this this is this is crazy like what am I doing and so I did finally get focused. And I learned a few things about writing. I knew it was important to choose a genre. And so I was reading My Sister the Serial Killer by Oyinkan Braithwaite. I had not read anything like that. It had depth, but it wasn't a depth that I was forcibly pushed into. And she connects the dots around like a huge issue in the human condition.
0: My Sister the Serial Killer is so dark and so funny. It tells the story of two sisters, one who kills men, one who cleans them up. It examines sisterhood, what it means to be family, while also tackling and exploring childhood abuse. A very quick read, and despite its subject matter, totally enjoyable.
1: And it was very inspiring. And I was like, I want to write a book like that you know, funny, light and meaningful. And so I sat down and I wrote it and it was almost like the second after, after I finished writing it, I got super insecure about it. I was like, what did I do? I, that's when I found When Words Collide Literary Festival.
0: When Worlds Collide is an annual festival that happens in Calgary and it's remarkable for the way it brings readers and writers together to learn, to share, to inspire. The last couple of years, of course, it's been online, but hopefully next year we'll get to see some people live and in person again. It's a fantastic festival.
1: I was very wary of reading my work at a festival because I knew deep inside me, I would not survive if someone stole my work. But the thing is, is that When Words Collide is very special festival. And I think it's so special because of the readers that attend. I felt really safe at When Words Collide 2019 in, the, in their first ever humor live action slash.
0: Okay, it's me again. The live action slush is an event where you submit the first 1000 words of your work in progress or your completed work. I participated last year in the young adult slush and submitted my pages and it's exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. At the start you're excited and you hope that they select your pages to read to the panel But midway through that, I was panicking and hoping that they wouldn't, and then I was close to the end thinking, oh, it's unfortunate that I'm not going to get any feedback on these pages, and then I had a Hail Mary at the last minute, and mine was the last manuscript to be read, and that is a whole other ball of wax in the emotional game. Putting your writing out there for critique by your peers and by leaders in the industry is more terrifying than getting on a roller coaster without a harness it's awful and amazing at the same time it's very nerve-wracking because you're you're throwing your stuff out there to the pros to be yeah critiqued and you don't like everybody is super kind and generous with their time but what was the feedback that you got
1: i'm sitting there you know i've had i've had all this kind of you know i've played violin since i was five not very well You know, like I've had all this creative kind of frustration. I haven't had creative success. I haven't been able to get what I imagine out of me successfully. And I'm sitting there, just like what you said, I've made myself so vulnerable. First of all, no hands went up and way more than two pages got read. And then the first person, Leanne, oh, I should get their names right. Ooh. Well, the first comment was... Was it Leanne Shirtliff? Yes. Okay. Was, I'm shocked at how original this is. And then it just kept coming. It it was like I was on a firing line and it was like positive pronouncements. And like, I had afterglow all the way to the airport. I'm sitting in the airport. I call my parents. I think I found something that, that I'm good at. And actually that afterglow is still with me and it carried me through some like lame rejection letters. So the, the, the pages you submitted, those were from
0: a draft of all as well, correct?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: And was it first draft, second draft? Where was it?
1: I'd say it was about fifth. Who was the first character
0: to whisper in your ear from this novel? It was Mrs. D.
1: You know, I I like her work ethic and I, I like her perpetual state of fussiness and I know that behind that fussiness is a great deal of care and and love actually and it's sort of a little tragedy how it how it comes out so wrong.
0: How different is the final novel from the original draft?
1: Not that different except that Elizabeth Phillips from Thysadon Press who should probably get like a medal for working <laughs> with me? Helped me get out of the passive voice. Uh, at first, I was shocked by the editing. Mine, I moved, and it was very intense. It was. It was. In retrospect, I. I might. Pro- I probably shouldn't have done it. It was just. It was the stress was just way too much. And that's when I got the first round of edits from Elizabeth. And I'll tell you, that was very good for me. Like, it was very, very good for me. Um, Why is that? I had kind of miscalculated. Like, it just, the move was just, it was just too much for me. I was in a state of overwhelm. But when I would sit down at my laptop in my hotel room where I was isolating for two weeks, with these edits, I was entering into a world that I understood. And, um, and extremely familiar with at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're writing your story, you're writing a novel, those characters are, they're part of your life. They're in your head. They're, you know, what you're thinking about all the time. They're so familiar to you that you it's really hard to pull away. Mm -hmm. and and see the holes and the inconsistencies and the the changes in style that we think are brilliant but actually don't work Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right
0: and that's what an editor is there for i love editors Mm -hmm. i worked in newspapers um so i i learned at a very young age to check the ego at the door and trust the editors know what they're doing
1: yeah you know I'm so glad that I, like you said, I I trusted Elizabeth and I went for it because that first edit was dramatic. Like it it did feel dramatic for me during the last edit, all these story arcs had, had come together. There's a lot
0: going on in all as well. And I wonder, I found myself wondering, did you plan all of this or did it all happen organically?
1: I... I'm a plotter. I'm a plotter. I'm not a pants, pantser.
0: A planner, in case you didn't know, is somebody who takes the time to outline their book, their chapters, their ideas, the story arc. And a pantser is complete opposite. Just lets the story evolve and see where it goes. You know, flying by the seat of their pants. And it doesn't matter which way you approach writing a book. They're both difficult. They both have Wonderful qualities and not so wonderful qualities. I tried to be a pantser. Yeah, I sucked at it. I'm a planner, but don't tell my husband because
1: I don't plan anything other than writing. I have to have the ending first. But even with it all plotted out, that first draft was like a walk in the desert. I'm grateful that I'm having creative success, <laughs> but it's, it's quite arduous. Like physiologically... When I, when I send a manuscript, I actually need to rest for a few days. It is, it is demanding. It is demanding to, to write. Do you find it hard to keep track
0: of when you've got so many characters at play? Did you find it hard to keep track of them?
1: Well, I think that that's what's so physiologically demanding on me. And, and I might wanna ha- I want I to look at that in my process. I'm consumed with a novel during the writing phase. I dream it. I wake up. I make notes to myself. But even then, I don't ever worry about not keeping track of, of things. I think I plot enough that I don't, I don't have to worry. It's like a map. And I can always, I can always look back to the map. You know, if you're, if you're super creative, it it does pay to plot because I got lost once. I mean, all is well is my debut novel, but it is not my first attempt at a novel.
0: Like most writers.
1: Yeah. And like, I couldn't end that thing. I couldn't end it. I couldn't end it. And that's when I decided, I was like, I'm never doing this to myself again. You know, 80,000 words, 90,000 words, 100,000 words. Can't end the thing. And so how did how did you ultimately find your way to that end? Or did you well, never? I never did. I never did. I, I killed her. I killed my heroine. That's what I did. I killed her off. That's not a spoiler for all is well. She's referring to
0: her first attempt to write a novel. That's the one that she killed off in more ways than one so where did the where did the idea for all is well come from what was the the spark of that novel
1: I was in divinity school and I was just asking myself what if this happened what if this happened what if I mean, that was the spark, you know, what I'm trying not to give any spoiler alert. Well, I mean, we can talk about the
0: first chapter because it's there's no spoiler in there. You come strong out of the gate yeah, with with a reverend and a body (laughs) and clearly a murder has happened.
1: It's just like, what if someone who's. Seeking redemption and seeking healing and seeking peace and trying to leave a world of violence behind, you know, to become an instrument of of peace on this planet comes out of the gate and 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 sort of trips up. What does that journey look like? Christine is very flawed, she's she's very damaged, but she's also she's very strong. I wanted to see if I could create a world in which readers could see powerful forces for good at work in everyone. Even in that first chapter, you you summed
0: up Christine so well. (laughs) And I'm going to find the line here. It was, it's actually three cents, three questions. Why does my life suck? (laughs) Why are people so horrible? Why did I just kill someone with a (laughs) (laughs) candlestick? Yeah, oops. It's just so deliciously crazy in three sentences. How did it feel when you actually got to the finish line and now you see the book out there in the wild? How does that feel?
1: At first, it really freaked me out. Um, I was even I was considering a pen name. What helped greatly was looking at all the other authors on Thistledown's fall launch. I was like, you know, if they can do it, I can do it and it it helps to see your work also, but I'll tell you it's it's um I don't know it's uh And it's also, it's bittersweet for me because my mom passed last year. She's a big reason why I'm a writer. And at least she got to know about the When Words Collide event for me. I guess it it feels very liminal. Did I have to look up liminal? Oh yeah, I did.
0: And here's the definition. Relating to a transitional or initial stage of a process or occupying a position at or on both sides of a boundary or threshold
1: now you're good if that ever comes up on game night it feels very surreal like i had to open up the novel and read a little bit today to remind myself that i had written it but at the same time it actually feels quite right it feels correct Like, I feel like I have finally had creative success. I got the story out and I got it out in a way that honors the reader.
0: Did selling all is well
1: spark your desire to continue writing? It did. Almost like to the day. This next novel, the title, Anon 381, just like ripped through me. Okay. It just like ripped through me. I handed in the second novel the day that my first novel came out. And so now I'm all, I'm all like. Um,
0: So have you, have you now landed in a genre?
1: Yeah. I would say satire, liminal satire. For sure. Humor.
0: Yeah. Maybe a bit dark comedy as well.
1: Yeah. Dark comedy, humor. What was the most satisfying part
0: of all is well for you to write
1: okay okay um when she's lying in the bed with her hands wrapped around that pink handled weapon and she's pushing her head into the pillow trying to find the boxes of ammo and she's like happy and and she and she falls off into sleep But that part is me. I I doubt very much. There's another configuration of human being out there that would write that scene. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like it's yeah, yeah. And I think it's important in some in someone's work to have moments that are just like that's me. Like that's that's my contribution. Like that's. That's my sense of humor very much. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was very satisfying. Sometimes I read that bit in the book. and It's just like, I have to like dance around my place afterwards. I'm just like, Oh my God. Like, it's just,
0: I know exactly how that feels. Yeah. It's it's like, it's like an Easter egg that we've planted in our book that only, we would get or the people closest to us would get yeah 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 Catherine I really loved this novel it's one of those novels that I will probably reread because it's so satisfying
1: on so many levels (laughs) oh my god you are so kind Dana you are so kind actually so for you to say how satisfying this novel is very affirming for me oh yeah
0: it 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 certainly is i laughed i was shocked i was disturbed (laughs) i laughed again (laughs) just it was honestly fully satisfying i thoroughly enjoyed i want to say Catherine, thank you for your time it's been glorious talking to you about your background and your process and i really enjoyed all as well and i i look forward to reading it again probably over christmas break when it's like cold and gloomy and maybe even February. It's a good February read when there's no hope in sight to the end of winter. Yeah. This is the book that you want to read, I think.
1: Thank you so much.
0: thank you. (laughs) This brings us to the end of another episode of What Were You Thinking? You can find Catherine Walker's book, All Is Well, wherever books are sold. You can check out my own books and see what I've been up to by visiting danagoldstein.ca and If you've enjoyed this podcast and this episode, I invite you to subscribe and also ask if you would take a second to rate and review. This will help this podcast find new ears to listen. And once again, thanks for listening. Okay, you held on to the end. And you know, if you're a regular listener, that I always ask the authors to dish and to tell me something not a lot of people know about them. Tell me something not a lot of people know about you.
1: Oh, I I lived in Brazil for a year when I was seventeen. I was an exchange student. I connected with a kind of femininity down there that has really served me well in life. And um, what does I don't that think... mean? You connected
0: with a femininity.
1: Well, okay, this was a new experience for me. I we went bikini shopping shortly after I got there, you know, my Brazilian sister pulled out my, my Canadian bikini from my suitcase. And I remember she stretched out the top like this and she said, is this a dress, <laughs> you know, and I thought I was all, you know, cause I, I went to raves and, you know, I thought I was very free and at home with myself as a woman the bikinis are all on these circular hangers and it's a small shop on a busy street and they have a curtain that lots of glass windows, but they have a curtain for you to try the bikini on. Right. But once you're outside of the curtain, you're kind of in this like fishbowl on a busy street kind of thing. And so I, I choose the bikini that I can see that has the widest back piece. And I, my mother says, okay, you want to try that on my Brazilian mother? So I we're talking about the bottom half, right? Yeah. The bottom half, the bottom half, right? The thong. I, I choose the bikini that I can see on the circular hanger with the widest thong. So I go into this change room and I put on this bikini, which is like, triangles over my nipples. Okay. And this thong I've precariously balanced it on the edges of my butt cheeks. Right. And all of a sudden my Brazilian mother is getting impatient, you know, come out here, come out here, you know, and I'm like, I'm like connecting with this kind of like North American kind of just like shyness. Like, I'm just like, I'm just like shy And my mother's like, my Brazilian mother's like, get out here. She's trying to see my backside and I'm doing a circle in the, in the, in the, in the store because I don't want her to see my backside. She finally, she, she stops me. She wraps her fist around the thong and she jerks it up my back end. And she goes, this is how we wear it in Brazil.
0: Daniel, hi. Could you make me a woman? I'm so happy. Oh, I knew you'd understand. Yeah. Is this gonna hurt? Don't whine. Just relax. Are you sure? Just remember, pain is beauty. Kay. Okay, here we go. Take a deep breath. Instant
1: eye lift. Wow. And you'll never see the strings. They'll be under the wig.
0: <sighs> the man has 5 o'clock shadow at 8.30 a.m., and you're worried about strings? All right, we'll start with makeup. I'm not gonna wax. Don't worry, we'll just lightly spackle. I feel like Gloria Swanson. You look like a mother. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Okay, everyone. Let's pray.